This is the Adventus Intimitati Podcast with Matt Moore, Episode 3. Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast, released on Monday, the 16th of September, 2019. I'm your host, Matt Lohr, here with the week's top headlines in the first half, followed by a discussion of the principles underpin many of the world's data protection laws. In an open letter, leaders of some of the country's largest companies pleaded for Congress to pass a comprehensive consumer data privacy law. The letter, published under the auspices of a business roundtable and signed by 41 CEOs, including those of Amazon, IBM, and AT&T, says a comprehensive law is needed to strengthen consumer trust and establish a stable policy environment, which it says is threatened by a patchwork of inconsistent state laws. While there has been a lot of talk in both the House and Senate of passing a data privacy bill, there is a lot of disagreement over the details of its protections and whether it should preempt state laws. Many bills have been introduced, but none have so far gotten any traction. Will that change now that leaders of industry are asking to be regulated? We'll see. My money says a bill won't get through Congress until another large state besides California passes a law with strong protections. Speaking of California, a number of amendments to the California Consumer Privacy Act have passed the Assembly and Senate and await the governor's signature. This includes AB 25, which excludes personal information collected in the context of an employment relationship for most of the CCPA's protections. Businesses must still provide employees with privacy notices and are still liable for breaches of employee data. Notably, this is only a temporary reprieve. This bill sunsets on January 1, 2021. The legislature is planning additional work on the question of employee data next year. AB 874 also passed, which excludes data lawfully obtained from government databases from the CCPA's protections. In a surprising twist, AB 846, which would have explicitly authorized businesses to offer discounts through loyalty programs, was sent to the inactive file. Businesses with loyalty programs will now have to rely on the provision that allows charging different prices that are reasonably related to the value of consumers' data. AB 1355, which makes various technical corrections, also passed. Finally, it's once again time for the annual review of the EU-US Privacy Shield Framework. This program, which provides a lawful mechanism for companies to transfer personal data from the EU to the U.S., relies on self-certification by companies to the Department of Commerce that they comply with various data protection provisions and requires them to make certain public statements about their privacy practices. The Federal Trade Commission, which enforces the Privacy Shield requirements, publicizes the actions brought and fines imposed this year for violations, including against companies that falsely claimed participation in the program. While it is expected that this review will once again conclude that Privacy Shield provides adequate protection and should be continued, it is not the only threat to the continued existence of Privacy Shield. Privacy advocate Max Schrem's case against Facebook, which was heard by the Court of Justice of the European Union in July, may lead to Privacy Shield's invalidation. An opinion from the Court's Advocate General is due by December 12th. If the Advocate General recommends the Court strike down Privacy Shield, as it did to its predecessor, Safe Harbor, It would be a very unhappy Christmas for many American companies. When trying to make sense of the varied privacy and data protection laws around the world, it's important to recognize that many are based on, or at least influenced by, a set of fundamental principles. In September of 1980, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, 
adopted guidelines on the protection of privacy and transborder flows of personal data, which outlined eight principles. The first was the collection limitation principle, which states that all personal data collection should be limited, fair, and lawful, and where appropriate, with knowledge or consent of the data subject. The second principle is the data quality principle, which states that data should be relevant to the purpose for which they are used, and accurate, complete, and up-to-date. The third principle is the purpose specification principle, which states that the purposes of data collection should be specified no later than when the data are collected. Fourth is the use limitation principle, which states that data should not be used for any purpose other than those purposes for which it was collected without the consent of the data subject or the authority of law. Fifth comes the security safeguards principle, which states that reasonable safeguards must be made against unauthorized access, disclosure, modification, use, or destruction of data. Principle number six is the openness principle, which stipulates a general policy of openness about developments, practices, and policies with respect to personal data. Next is the individual participation principle, which states that an individual should have the right to obtain whether a data controller holds data on that individual, to have that data communicated to the individual, and the right to challenge the data held by that controller and have it erased or corrected. Finally, there is the accountability principle, which states that data controllers should be held accountable for complying with the principles. Meanwhile, the United States government had been studying data privacy since the 1970s. In the 1973 report of a committee to the U.S. Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare, the term Fair Information Practice was coined to refer to the code that would govern the U.S. government's increasing collection of data on citizens and automated systems. In 1998, a Federal Trade Commission report to Congress stated five Fair Information Practice Principles, or FIPS, Notice or Awareness, Choice or Consent, Access or Participation, Integrity or Security, and Enforcement or Redress. However, these lists of principles do not have the force of law. In contrast, the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which went into force in May 2018, does have principles which are enforceable against data controllers, listed in Article 5. Section 1 lists six principles, lawfulness, fairness, and transparency, purpose limitation, data minimization, which means data collected is limited to what is relevant to the purposes for which it is used, accuracy, storage limitation, and integrity and confidentiality. Section 2 states the accountability principle, that controllers are responsible for compliance with the principles in Section 1. The Data Protection Directive, predecessor to the GDPR, had a similar statement of principles. The GDPR adds a principle that is not found in the OECD principles or FIPS, storage limitation. This requires that data be destroyed or de-identified when it is no longer necessary for the purposes for which it was collected. In my day job, this is by far the most difficult to implement. More often than not, the application teams have given no thought to data retention periods and expect to keep the data indefinitely. I have to work with them to determine a workable approach. In some cases, this can be purging user accounts that have been inactive for some time. In others, destruction is triggered by an external event, such as an employee leaving the company. In still other cases, data may be retained for a fixed time period, based on statutes of limitation or other legal requirements. Another interesting contrast is the European focus on lawfulness, whereas the FIPS focus on consent. This may reflect the somewhat liberal construction of consent in the U.S. as including even an opt-out regime or where a data subject may have no realistic option but to consent, whereas the GDPR requires consent to be specific, informed, affirmative, and opt-in to be valid.
consent may also be revoked at any time. But consent is only one basis on which processing can be lawful under the GDPR. These include the legitimate interests of a data controller, insofar as they are not weighed by the risks to the fundamental rights and freedoms of a data subject. They also include a contract of the data subject that makes the processing necessary, a legal obligation imposed on the controller by EU law or the law of an EU member state, and the vital interest provision, which says processing is lawful when it is literally a matter of life and death. Other privacy laws around the world include a list of principles, such as Canada's Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act, which includes 10 principles, one of which is consent. Not to be outdone, Australia's Privacy Act includes 13 Australian privacy principles, one of which requires controllers to allow the use of a pseudonym unless that would be impractical. In contrast, the California Consumer Privacy Act does not even contain the word principle. Privacy laws around the world vary significantly, and complying with unique requirements can make compliance a daunting challenge. But understanding the common principles when designing a global compliance program can make the task a bit easier. Thank you.